you would, turn in the Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are almost to the very, very end of this letter. We've enjoyed it. It's been encouraging and strengthening to us. It's one of the letters that's often overlooked, one of Paul's letters. It's been good for us. We will almost finish it this morning. Lord willing, we will finish it tonight to finish up the book. And then uh, next Sunday, we'll just keep rolling straight into 2 Thessalonians, which is the very next page in your Bible, the very next book. Today, we are at chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. It's the ending of a letter. And we're going to see how he concludes this first letter to them. The older I get, the more I realize there are a lot of things that I don't remember. I'm not losing my mind or losing my memory, I don't think, but there are a lot of things I don't remember. People bring up something to me and they say, do you remember that? And I say, I don't remember that. And they start you know, recalling it and telling us a story. I say, I think I do remember that. There's lots of things that I don't remember, but there are so many things that are so big and, and like a signpost or a, a stake, a marker in my life that I remember those very, very well. There's lots of things like that. I've played in a lot of ball games in my life, and I can't remember many of those, but there are some that I could tell you like how many seconds were left on the clock. There are some I could tell you like who was guarding me and what position they were in. You can remember those things really, really clearly. Val and I have been on a lot of dates together in our time, and I can't remember many of them, but there are some that I can remember so well, so clearly, where we ate, what she ordered, right? What she was wearing, you know, like things that you just remember really, really well. One of the things that I am so aware of was the first time in my life as a Christian that I was introduced to the phrase God-centered, God-centered. I was in college, I remember the campus, I remember the preacher, I remember the first time I heard the phrase God-centered as opposed to man-centered. Am I thinking about everything in life and every feeling and emotion and act and obedience or disobedience? Am I thinking about everything I do or everything that happens in the world through man being the most important thing in the world? Or am I thinking about everything in life as if God matters? centered upon God. I remember being about 20 years old the first time I heard the phrase God-centered and and very closely with it, Christ-centered. And I remember how much it started to shape and form and mold and remold who I am. That I am to be thinking about God and Christ in the center of everything. Who we are, what we do, how we think, how we feel. We are to be God-centered people. God-centered people. Paul ends the letter to 1 Thessalonians with some commands. 13 of them, actually, in our passage today. 13 different commands. And it's do this, do this, do this, do that, do that, do this. It's, it's that. And then it's don't do that, and don't do that, and don't do that. And don't. It, it's, it's that. There's a chance, folks, that for you or for us, that that's what we think Christianity is to be. 
And that's what we think church life is to be. And we're going to see when we get to the end of this passage that even all of those commands and calls to do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that are very God-centered. I want to make sure here today that you stick with me all the way to the end of the sermon so that we can see the second point where we see that it is God who is going to do this. This is the work of God and that we would be strengthened by it. But I want to warn our church here at the beginning, by the grace of God, by his mercy, God has turned and reversed the course of this church to where our church is now mostly young people. It doesn't matter whether churches are old or young, age is not a focus, but we know that young people bring life and they grow up. And as you can tell right now, we welcome the distractions, but there are kids everywhere and babies everywhere and noise everywhere and activity everywhere in this church. One of the biggest things that we have going on are Wednesday nights in our church, where any given Wednesday night, we are touching right at 100 people here on campus that are like 20 and under on a Wednesday night. That's fantastic. That should be what we want. We want to make disciples. We want to see them grow up into maturity in Christ and start the cycle all over again. But let me warn you, church, if our message to all of these kids is do this, do that, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, we have missed it. We have missed it. We have missed it. If you're a young person here today, don't let this sermon and don't let our message to you be that. Let our message be to you that God is a faithful God, a father in heaven for you, who has not called you to go out there and be good enough that you might make it to heaven or be obedient enough that you would earn your way into God's presence. No, God has sent you a promise that his love is so strong and so redeeming that his son Jesus has died on the cross to make it sure and certain and finished that whoever would believe him would be saved, would be welcomed into the family of God by grace and grace alone. You cannot be a good enough kid or a bad enough kid Okay, You cannot be a good enough adult or a bad enough adult to shape how God is feeling about you. God has sent his son Jesus to be the savior of the world. And when we believe in him and repent and ask him for forgiveness of our sins, he receives us. To all those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, the Bible says. So when we get to a passage like this morning where there's a lot of do's and don'ts, a lot of commands, don't miss how God-centered he makes even that message. Read with me, if you will, at 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, 
Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Can you imagine being the Thessalonian church? And the missionary Paul had been there for what seems to be just a few weeks. We read in the book of Acts, chapter 16 and 17. He's just there a few weeks. He preached the gospel. God saved many Thessalonians. And they started a church there, but it wasn't long before Paul was ran out of town and he was gone. And they received this letter back. Can you imagine reading how strengthened they would be when they hear Jesus is coming back. Remember, that's a theme here. And he keeps pointing them to the return of Christ. Be ready. Be comforted. Be strengthened. Christ is going to return. And when he returns, he will come to get those who believe, who are waiting, who are ready, who are, here he says, blameless at his coming. And he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. What a letter. What a strengthening. What a message that they need to hear. Today, I only have two, two points for you. Normally, I try to do three points, but today we only have two, so maybe it'll actually be a shorter sermon. Number one, the calling to live holy lives for God. Number one, the calling to live holy lives for God. Church, we must make sure that we understand that the message of God is the message of God, that he has called us to be like him. He has called us to understand his bigness and his grandeur and his majesty and his goodness and his holiness, that God is totally right and pure and good, and there are no mistakes with him. There is no imperfections with him. There is no sin in him. He is a holy God, and his standard is holiness for us. And so the call calling of the Bible is to be holy as he is holy, and we are to take that serious. You see this here in Thessalonians on several accounts. If you look at chapter 5, verse 23, he says, now, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The word sanctify there is a word that means to make you holy. We, we, we use sanctification a lot. Sanctify you completely is to make all of you, to make it even more uh, a strong point. After that, he says your whole spirit, your whole soul and body, right? He wants us to be holy, but it's not the first time he said it. Turn back to chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And at that passage, which you remember me preaching, he brings up your sex lives and your sexual desires and your passions and your lusts. And he says, no sexual morality. Abstain, it says in 4.3, 
from sexual immorality. And this is included in our sanctification. So in every area of our lives, our brains, the way we think, our mouths, the way we talk, our bodies, what we do with them, they are to be God-centered. We are to think about God everywhere. With our wallets, we are to think about God. With our purchases, we are to think about God. With our neighbors, we are to be thinking about God. With our education, we are to be thinking about God. In everything, we are to be God-centered. And God is a holy God, and this matters to us. And the call Calling is to live holy lives. Ephesians 1 says, therefore be imitators of God. We are to be thinking what is God like, and then we are to be saying, I want to be like that. And when we fall short of God's holy standard, we must acknowledge and admit and accept that that is sin. Going against God's holiness, breaking his rules or his standards is sin. And sin is what has separated us from God. We have fallen short of God's good and holy standard. And people are sinful people, and that's not good. That is bad. That brings upon the judgment of God. And so we need help. We need hope. We need something. And he provides it in his son, the Savior. He loves us in our sins. And this is the message of God that we are to understand and embrace. But that does not discount or minimize or make less the calling to live holy lives for God. And so at the end of this letter, he brings right here these commands, these rules. And so while we have a shorter sermon today with only two points, the first point here today has 13 subpoints. I'm not joking. There are 13 subpoints here in my first point because there are 13 commands, and I want to run through them. The first one is in verse 12. If you want to take notes, write them down. 13 little commands in this passage. The first one is respect. Look what it says in verse 12. To respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord. And admonish, you, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Command number one here is respect those over you, your leaders, your pastors. It's so hard for a pastor to preach on how y'all should treat your pastor. That's hard. That's awkward. I know that. This is October, and it is Pastor Appreciation Month. We didn't plan it that way. You can't make this stuff up, as people like to say, right? But that's where the Bible has brought us. And if I'm the one responsible for teaching you all what you're supposed to understand, then we need to say this. The Bible here is teaching us to understand what real, sincere pastors are like and what they go through, and then to respect them because of that. This first command to respect them points out three characteristics that pastors have. Look what they are. Number one, those who labor among you. Those who labor among you. Number two, those who are over you in the Lord. All of this is in verse 12. And those who admonish you. Three aspects of ministry and pastoral ministry and shepherding ministry that perhaps we have forgotten about. Right In this day and age where churches get bigger and bigger and you know, just nicer and nicer and all of that, sometimes the pastor's job seems to be anything but these things, and yet we want you to know that's what we understand the pastor's callings are. And here at this church you have four pastors, but we want you to know that we read the Bible and we want to understand it as that. Laboring among you, over you in the Lord, and admonishing you. Labor means what labor means. Pastors should be hardworking. 
And if we're not hardworking, then you all need to correct us for that. But if we are hardworking, then you all need to respect us for that. That's what he says. Commentator Green says, the true leaders who should be recognized as such by the church are first described as those who labor hard among you. Hard working. The verb has to do with engaging in difficult or exhausting labor. Over and over again, it designates ministerial labors and it highlights the fact that true leaders are those who put forth great effort in their work for the benefit of the church. Did you hear that? That a real pastor will work himself hard and labor and be exhausted for the benefit of the church. He goes on, he says, these various leaders work hard among you in those affairs that are in the interest of the congregation, including teaching and the other aspects of their pastoral ministry. Respect those that labor among you. Secondly, respect those who are over you in the Lord. We believe wholeheartedly that this is a calling from God that God has called us to do this. And not only do we believe that, but this church believes that as well. The church has affirmed it. Us pastors can't get in this position without you all saying it, thanking it, approving it, settling it, and voting on it together, right? We can't just make ourselves pastors. We can't just call up our buddies and do this together. You all have made the decision because we have sought the Lord who are over you in the Lord. This is not just a job. This is a calling. And thirdly, who admonish you. Admonition and admonishing is when you tell somebody they need to be doing something. When you correct somebody in a loving, sincere way. Admonishment is almost lost these days. Green writes, while personal correction has almost become anathema in the church today, ancient opinion was that correction by others was profitable for a person's well-being. Would you believe that? Would you respect pastors in your life who call you out or correct you in love when you need it? Are you open to that? Can you handle that? Would you be so offended that you'd never talk to them again? Would you be so prideful that you wouldn't believe it? Or do you want to be holy like God is holy? And so you understand God's system, if you want to call it that, of church where pastors sincerely lead people. Number one, respect those. Respect those who are over you. The second command is be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. You see this at the end of verse 13. Be at peace among yourselves. This is the second command. What a message that is for us. There's division all about us, isn't there? There is division all about us. Our families are divided. Our world is divided. There's division everywhere. And it is a witness to this world that although you and I got different opinions about everything else, I had a man in the hallway this morning say that he wished everybody in the church had worn a UK shirt to church this way today. I said, oh, please no, please no, right? I disagree with him on that, right? The Tar Heels lost last night to terrible FSU. Louisville had a meltdown, and they lose a heartbreaker last night. And the UK fans want to boast in front of us today. We cannot agree on that. But the Bible teaches us it is a witness in this world when you and I have peace among ourselves. Hey, we got different opinions about a lot of things. We know that. We know that but we have a common denominator 
that Christ is the Lord that reigns. He is the King of kings. And we bow ourselves down. We don't have our chest stuck out. We don't think my way or the highway. We don't think, well, I'm right and you're wrong. We think Christ reigns. And in humility, we humbly seek him and we humbly labor to know and love each other, to hear each other out, to work through differences and seek the truth that will guide us through every bit of it. The second command is to be at peace among ourselves. Our church should aim to be a peaceful church and you as a piece of that should be a peacemaker in our midst. Number three, Admonish the idol. Good word in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, right? Those who are slow or lazy or not keeping up with it and those who are not involved. Uh, I got a footnote here that says disorderly or undisciplined. Those who are not hearing the commands and saying, I want to. Those who are more man-centered in their Christianity thinking, well, I just think and here's what I think and it's good enough for me, right? And they can only think about church and Jesus and truth based off what they think in their minds. That's man-centered. Encourage them or um, um, admonish them Hey, seek the Lord, read the word, get in the church, hear the preaching, go live for God. That's the third command, admonish the idol. The fourth, encourage the faint-hearted. I love this one. Faint-hearted is a good word. We don't use it that much, right? The faint-hearted are those who are lacking courage. They are cowardly. There's a calling in life that says we gotta go with conviction and do what's right. And we're about to see the, the 13th command here is to abstain from, abstain from every form of evil. We must be honest that Christianity requires us to live for what is right and to not live for what is wrong. Live for God and not live for things that are opposed to God. And that takes some strength, that takes some courage. And so we must encourage those who are lacking that those who are being overwhelmed by the world, those who can't stand up when they need to stand up, those who are being influenced more by their lost people in their lives who do not know God than rather influencing them. They need to be admonished. Admonish the idol. Number four, oh, sorry, encourage the faint-hearted. They need to be encouraged. Number five, help the weak. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. This is all the same command. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. There's a sensitivity to being a follower of Christ. It's understanding that life is hard. It's understanding that the successes and the wins that happen in the Christian life don't come as easily for everybody else. Everybody's got a story. and Everybody's going through it. And not everybody's on the same path. There are obstacles and trials and the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. You need to understand that. You need to understand that some people are suffering, battling, going through things that we don't know. And so we hear the command to help them and be patient with them. The next one, do not repay evil for evil but seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Look at this one. This is verse 15. This is the whole, the whole verse of verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. This is the lesson that the Bible teaches, and you need to know it. This means that almost across the board, the Bible teaches us to respond to evil differently 
than we were raised, all right? So often in how we grew up, whether it was in in the streets or on the ball field or in the neighborhood or wherever, is if I like you, I like you. But you get on my bad side, and that's a different story. There's a side of me that you don't want to see, and it can come out sometimes, right? And it's almost kind of like good and admirable in our culture to have that about you. You don't want to cross him. The Bible won't let us be that way, folks. We're trying to represent God. Hey, if God was that bully like y'all are so proud to be, he'd have done busted every one of us. And I'm glad nobody in your neighborhood's brought it out of you lately so that you can feel macho. But if God were that way, we'd already brought it out of him, folks. We sin against him. We misrepresent him. We curse him. We ignore him. We get faint-hearted about his commands. We get idle about the strength that it takes. And he hasn't busted us. He's a faithful father to us. Disciplines us, absolutely. But he doesn't beat us up and reject us and say, I'm done with you. He doesn't. So the calling for us is to be like God in this world. When evil is done to us, we don't do evil back. We don't repay evil for evil. We don't do that. So look what the second half of verse 15 says. And if you didn't know that the Bible says this sort of thing, then I want you to hear it. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. If you didn't know that the Bible says that, now you do. Always seek to do good to everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Always to everyone. Does everybody hear that? In the last couple years, I've had somebody ask me if we want to chain up the basketball goal so that other people can't use it. No, we don't. We want everybody in the world to use it. And if they leave their trash out there, we'll pick it up. If it gets too bad, we'll go talk to them about leaving their trash out there. But we can live with it, all right? Who puts a basketball goal up and says it's only for us? Not us. I've had somebody say, do we want to lock up the playground so that we can only use it? No, we don't. We want it open, and we want anybody to use it. The Bible says always seek to do good to everyone. If you don't know that, start reading your Bible. Stop living the way you think you were raised, and you're going to just treat everybody however you want to treat them. That's not Christianity. In First Baptist Fairdale, living in a community of people that don't believe God, don't live for God, don't care about the standard of God, we must realize we're going to be different. We are going to be different. They trash the playground, we keep it open for them to keep using it. You want to do whatever you want to do at your own house, you make your own rules. You don't talk to your neighbors, you don't love your neighbors, your neighbors die and go to hell because you never once sacrificed and served them. Okay, you live with that between you and God. But not our church. Not our church. Where Jesus Christ gave his holy life for us. And he wants us to know what it means to be loved and have somebody do something for you even when you don't deserve it. That is what Christianity is. The whole world should be locked up and the sunset should be kept away from our vision and the beauty of raising awesome kids should be kept from being a gift to us if we only get what we deserve. No. God is a gracious God who is giving us fresh gifts every day and we don't deserve them. And if we want to be a light in the darkness, like the Bible says we are to be, we are to do good to everyone. 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 
He keeps going. Verse 16, rejoice always. If God is this good to us and a father in heaven, then we can rejoice even through the hard times. We can sing in the rain. We can say God gives and God takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We are to be a rejoicing people. The next command, pray without ceasing. We are so utterly independent upon God that we must pray. We cannot do this in our own strength. We do not have all the answers. We are not going to be able to walk this holy line on our own strength. And so we pray, we pray, we pray. The next command is give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's in verse 18. We are to be a thankful people. Because he is our Father in heaven, And because we are in his hands, and because our salvation is sure, and because he has given us his Holy Spirit with the promise that he will never, ever leave us, and he is with us always, then we are thankful. God, thank you for bringing me this. Thank you for bringing me to this. Thank you for bringing me through this. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me. Thank you, thank you, thank you is a characteristic of Christians. The next one is there in verse 19, do not quench the spirit. And I mentioned that there are do's and don'ts. Do not quench the spirit. You've heard this before, I know that you have, but we haven't thought much about it. If the Bible has this many commands to do and not to do, if there are this many commands in scripture, then we must be God-centered. And my second point, which we're gonna get to in a little bit, is like, well, how in the world can we actually do this? It's the power of God working in us. It's that the Holy Spirit is a very present help in time of trouble. It is a power working in us that enables us to actually obey God. It is, it's real, it's true. But it's also true, and that's what he's saying here, that that can be quenched. Like, hey, I know that when they're trashing the basketball court, I'm getting frustrated, I'm ready to go out there and just explode on them, right? And the Spirit is saying, Christ ain't exploding on you. You should always seek to do good to everyone. Why don't you go back there and offer them some Gatorades, because we've got about 1,000 Gatorades downstairs. Why don't you just go out there and offer them a six-pack of Gatorades and say, man, I'm glad that y'all are here. I like to play basketball too, and I actually think I could beat you guys. I may come out here and shoot with y'all sometime. And the Spirit is leading you to go do what God would do. But your pride is saying, nah, they don't deserve that. I'm gonna run them out of here, man. They gonna treat our goal like that? That's quenching the spirit. And when you listen to your flesh or you listen to the world or you listen to that good old tough boy of how you were raised, right? You listen to that, you quench the spirit. And the whole enterprise of God working in the world to draw people in to the goodness of a Savior Jesus is squashed, crushed, quenched. That's what happens, and you know it. There are people in your lives that at one point you were praying, laboring, talking, and now you don't even speak. The Spirit has been quenched completely. You won't bring it up. They won't bring it up. Nobody talks about God and salvation and hope and forgiveness and love because it's just been quenched. Somebody exploded over here, somebody exploded over here, F-bombs were dropped, bad stuff was said, and now we don't even go there anymore is how we live. It's been quenched. And the Bible warns right here, don't let that happen. 
Don't let that happen. Labor, sacrifice, give, be patient, forgive, love. Don't let what God is doing in this world with our witness, don't let it be quenched. The Spirit wants us to lay down our lives for this world, sacrifice ourselves if need be. Go lay down our loves for this world so that they will see that Christ is real. He's working in us. God wants us to live that way for the world. And when we turn like the world and treat them like the world, the way they would treat us, just one-on-one, man-on-man, repaying evil for evil, when we do that, the message of Jesus changing lives is just absolutely quenched. Absolutely quenched. Don't let that happen, he says. The next one, verse 20. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. He's talking about now teaching. Teaching, preaching, what people are saying. Speaking on behalf of God, speaking truth, Bible studies, TV preachers, everything else. Going to a church, a Bible study at your, at your workplace, things like that. Don't hate it. Don't despise it. But test everything. Is this true? Is this God-centered? Is this according to God? Is that in correlation? Is that along the truth of what Jesus is about. You remember in Acts chapter 17 when they, right there with the Thessalonians 2, still in Macedonia, uh, when they made it to Berea, you, you remember the Bereans, right? The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that they went on a mission trip, they went to Berea, they preached the gospel to the Bereans, and the Bible says in Acts 17, 11, that the Bereans took everything they heard and examined it according to the scriptures to see if these things were true. That's what it says in Acts 17, 11. That's a good message, nice talk. We appreciate it, Paul. But let me go back over here to my truth and examine it to see if it's the real thing. Let me see if that's in the Bible. Let me see if that's of God. And that's how we're to be. That's what it says. Don't, don't, don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Two more commands to finish it out. Hold fast what is good. Hold fast what is good. Hold fast means to hold tight. Man, I found a good thing and I'm not gonna let go of it. Man, I found me a church that loves well. Those people keep up with me and they check on me. When I go in the hospital, they try to send me food. When I live far away, they'll get the pizza delivered there. Hold fast to something that's good. Man, I found a church, whether whether I like it or don't like it, whether I'm feeling it or not feeling it, they are gonna speak about this book no matter what. No matter what, when I come here, they're gonna tell me what this book says, even when it drives me crazy when he tells them to just let everybody use the playground, right? Even when that bothers me, even when that bothers me, it's gonna be out of this book, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Hey, hold fast to the things in your life that are good. Hold fast. And the last one is a big one, but it's what the Bible says. Abstain from every form of evil. Do you know what it means to abstain? It means to not do it. It means to stay away from it. Abstain from it. I don't want anything to do with that. Now church, listen to me. I want to challenge you to abstain from evil. But I also want to challenge you to make sure you know what evil is and what's not evil, okay? There are some things that you can be about. They're not evil. You need to understand that. 
there's some things that we ought to have nothing to do with. There are some things that we ought to have nothing to do with. And sometimes that's conversations. Sometimes that's activities. This week it broke in the news that a bunch of pro athletes have been involved in a uh, medical insurance scandal. You probably heard about this. A bunch of millionaires were getting themselves more millions by lying about medical procedures they were having and they were just getting the insurance money. And it talked about, I read the article and it talked about how it came about and they were like recruiting each other and they were saying they had $50,000 of dental work done and they didn't have it done but they submitted it like they did and so they got the, they got the money for it. But it talked about how they were like recruiting each other in and of course I was preparing all week for this sermon and thinking about this and I'm like, if somebody came to you this week, I'm serious, and they said, hey, man, I know how you can make 10 grand. The insurance company doesn't know. If you just tell them you did this, I get you the paperwork, you submit it, you'll get a check in the mail for 10 grand. You know what you should say? Hey, God knows everything. I'm living under God. He's my God. He's my Father in heaven. No thanks. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't do it either, dude. Abstain from it. Abstain from it. And when all the men in your life love porn, and so they want to be able to show it to you or send it to you, you ought to be able to say, no. 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 I'm abstaining from that. And I realize they might look at you like, what, are you weird? No. I'm living for God. God matters. He matters to me. And I don't abstain from everything, man. I'll go out to eat with you. We can go here and we can do that. Now, we can hang out together. I don't abstain from everything. I'm not abstaining from your relationship. I'm not abstaining from your friendship. I'm not abstaining from going to your home and, 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 and cutting it up. I'm not abstaining from you coming to my house. I'm not abstaining from that. But there are some things I'm abstaining from. There are some things in the world that the devil loves because they eat us up and they ruin our lives and they distract us from what really matters. Abstain from those things. The call from God to live holy lives that reflect him is real in scripture. You need to know it. We're not running from it. That's who we are. That's what the Bible says. 13 commands right here. But I said at the beginning, and I meant it to all the young people that are here today, y'all, that ain't our main message. And although it's time for us to end, we're not ending yet because that's not the main message. Look at verse 23 and 24. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. My second point here today that we will end with is the ability to actually live out that holy calling comes from God. The ability to actually live out that calling comes from God working in us. We have promises in the scriptures that what God calls us to, he will empower us 
through. Faithfulness in marriage, honesty over uh, our insurance and over our finances, right? The way we treat our neighbors, being able to love everybody regardless of how they treat us, right? The ability to do that is impossible in our own strength. We will resort to our sinful flesh in our own strength, but it is absolutely possible by the power of Jesus Christ working in us. The neat thing I want you to recognize here is that this is a prayer. He's ending his letter here with a prayer for the church that in hearing those commands, they would not feel overwhelmed like, good grief, man, the standard's too high. In just 10 little verses, 12 to 22, he dropped 13 commands on us. I mean, what is this? I mean, rules, 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 rules. This is ridiculous. I don't like going to church because all they give us are rules. That's not what he's saying. He's praying for them that the God of peace himself would surely, faithfully work in them to go and live this way. And church, I want you to know, he does. He is. He is. This is what the Bible wants us to know. We hear him saying it here, but in the passage that we read just a little bit ago in 1 Corinthians 1, it says a very similar thing. Let me listen, let me let you hear this. It says... God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God will do it. Many of y'all remember Philippians 1.6. So we got the first of Corinthians, we got Thessalonians, we got Philippians chapter one where it says, I am confident of this very thing, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Bible wants us to know that the calling on our lives to be holy for him is not a calling he wants us to do on our own strength. It's a calling that he is working in us. If you are trusting Christ, he will empower you. He will finish what he started he will make sure that you are faithful to him until the end. Do not walk out of here today going, man, that's gonna be hard. Walk out of here today going, praise God, he's working in me. Praise God, I can be a witness to this world. Praise God for the salvation I have in Jesus. He is going to make me a blessing to this world. But don't miss this one final thing. At the end of verse 23, he says, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet again, Paul in this letter to the Thessalonians has used the return of Christ to help put it all into perspective. Here's what he means, here's what he means. If this is never actually gonna come to a head, if it doesn't really matter, if this is just supposed to be a motivational speech, then we'll leave out of here today going, I don't know. But if the one who called us died on the cross for us, rose out of the grave for us, is just waiting on the command to go, he's ready. And when he comes back, he's gonna get those who want him to come back. He's gonna come and rescue his people. He's gonna be our savior and all those that believe that are saying, God, help me to live like this for you. God, help me to be faithful to you because you're so faithful to me. God, help me in this world to show people what you're like.
May you and I believe, yes, God has called us to holy lives. But may you and I be strengthened and encouraged, glad, because he's working it out in us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the ability to actually live this out. Thank you, God, for a whole bunch of commands that we can address that we often don't get around to. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Father, we pray that you would make our church a real witness in this community. God, I pray that you would help us to help people think about you. God, help us to help people think about you and what you're like and that you're coming back and that you died for us, that you love us, that we need to know you. We need to get our lives centered on you. God, help us to be a witness like that. God, thank you for this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen.